How's it going? This is Nipjeet, and you're listening to Alkaline. This is episode number 50, and this week we have Dirty Dan on the show. Dirty Dan camps with Spanky's Wine Bar. Normally I would go off into a spiel, tell you all little details about Dan's life, and give you fun little tidbits about the DJ, but since this is episode number 50, and it is a very special episode, we actually sat down with Dirty Dan, and I got to do a great interview with him. Uh, we'll be playing that at the end of the mix, so definitely stay tuned for that. Uh, Dan's got some crazy stories, so you definitely want to wait and listen to that at the end of the show. Okay, before I get into the mix, I just wanted to take a second and thank everybody that has been a part of this wild two years of doing the show and throwing the fundraisers, and now we're doing the uh, first Friday sessions at Blonde Bar in San Diego. So none of this would be possible without the help of Tori, Amber, Rebel, and most importantly, the man who put the idea in my head, Arash. But we actually wouldn't have a show if it wasn't for all the 50 amazing DJs that have taken time out of their lives to share their art with us. And lastly, we wouldn't have a show if it wasn't for the endless support of our listeners. Thank you very much, and let's go ahead and get into the mix. This is Alkaline. Mm-hmm. Mind. Your soul. Don't lose control. Mind. Your soul. 
some of your time Check me out A please, not so hard Sensitivity is key And the key is to my heart Lock me up And throw that shit away Dirty minds think alike Can I be your personal slave? Slave
Understanding in your mind 
hands up, put your hands up, put your hands up, just put your hands up, 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 put your hands up.
stood to the head of my cock inside you, when my other head, the one with the brains, keeps thinking how fucked up everything is.
Wow, what a mix. All right, let's go ahead and drop into the interview. Huge, fresh baked rolls. It's like right. so great. Like there's so much good food, and uh, I mean, literally, we probably one of the best Korean barbecues like in town. So I feel kind of blessed. You get the like the West Coast version of your East Coast home. It's so totally exactly what it is, and I'm like really grateful to like have this little niche that I kind of follow around <laughs> everywhere I go. Yeah, it's like you never left almost, right? No. Except... And it's like it's like the it's like grimy like the way New York used to be before it became very gentrified and like, you know, everything's about you know, running out the little guy and making some big business out of it, you know? And it's right. like you still have these like mom and pop stores and little bars that are owned by, you know, one guy who's owned it for like thirty, forty years. Right, you know I mean right. like, I like that kind of a neighborhood. It's more mom and pop than, you know, this like very separated, you know, shiny, clean, new, you know, New York, which, you know, I'm kind of like, I was bored with. And so where, like, I remember last time we talked, you were, is it Jackson Heights that you grew up? Flushing, or, Queens. Flushing, Flushing, right, Queens. right, right. I'm where the nanny's from. Where, okay, <laughs> right, 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 right. I love that lady. Okay, yeah, so then that's off, that's not in the main island, right? That's on. Uh, it's like, actually, it's like 15 minutes from the city, so, like, if you take right. a train, it's like, you know, it's like 15 minutes, and yeah, the express it's... train, it's like 20 minutes. Well, what's that? So It's Long I, Island. Yeah, yeah, so I grew up in, like, for a year, I lived in Long Island City, I yeah, think, it's literally, like, yeah. literally on the, as soon as you cross, cross the, the bridge, cross the bridge yeah, it's right the there. Bridge. And then Flushing is a little bit further. Flushing's the other end of that train line. So you were on the seven line right at the beginning. Okay. So then the other end, because like one stop over is Queensboro Plaza, and that's Long Island City right okay. there. Okay. And then you go all the way to the end is where I lived at the end of that seven line. Okay. So I live like 15, 20 blocks from that train station. I would walk or ride my bike and get on the train and head into cool. the city. How long did you grow? Did you, were you born in New York? Or? I was born in Florida, and I moved to New York when I was... Uh, six maybe five or six okay and uh, I lived in Flushing ever since alright so, and then when did you move out to Koreatown LA uh, I moved there last year I actually moved in December I've only been in LA for like six months oh, what, six okay. eight months now? yeah six months just about just, just trying to just still kind of getting the lay of the land yeah. in some way we yeah. were in Seattle for a year um, she was working at Virginia Mason and uh, I was uh, doing some construction up there and uh, scoping out a uh, bear scene up there trying to meet people and network in Seattle and uh and we came down here. I'm going to Point Blank uh, Music School. Right, yeah, you were telling me about that. That's that They're like the premier music school, they, basically, right? They really are. I mean, um, my one teacher, um, Joe Caputo, uh, you know, he's taught Diplo and, uh, you know, Flume and, like, all these guys, like, how to use Native Instruments and Machine and stuff. And, you know, uh, David Haro, another really great teacher that I have. I mean, he was making tracks for Kylie Minogue and stuff like this back in the 90s. And that's, like, great to have these guys that, you know, like, when you go through their discography and what they've made, they're, like, legends, you know what I mean? And uh, I sit with them three days a week, four days a week, and, and, you know, learn to make music from these guys. Very blessed. Yeah. Yeah, no, so that's, like, your... You're obviously dedicating a lot of time yeah. to learning right now. I do like three or four days a week. I do some private uh, tutoring with these guys too, you know, like sit down and have them help sculpt what I'm, I'm making, you know, like I'm really trying to like tailor an album by the end of this year that's you know, based on a lot of what I grew up with, you know, a lot of the sounds of like 
freestyle and these elements of hip-hop and elements of techno and kind of everything is what my end project's going to be this year, you know, so. Interesting. So how much of that is that project, like, are, is it one of those albums where it's, like, the whole, like, uh, like, I like, let me let me gather my thought here. Mm. There's a lot of albums where you sit down and you listen to the whole album, and mm. you have to listen to it as one big. Like you have to listen to the whole yeah. album yeah. to get yeah. it. Yeah. Like yeah. like Kendrick Lamar's albums are like that. There's quite a few electronic albums where like you can't really listen to like a track or two. Yeah. You have to listen to it in its thing. entire sit yeah. sitting. That's what I'm gonna really try to base it around. You know, I wanna. Tr- I've been like tailoring out a bunch of different ideas. I've been going through a lot of like old records. You know, I have thousands of records, and and I'm just slowly pulling pieces off the wall of like these things that you know made and created my musical. You know. Uh, composition you know all these songs had a piece of my heart in them that you know when i grew up you know i listened to you know like harvey hancock and you know uh, fry green onions and you know booker t and g's and like all these like you know boogie funk disco break kind of things you know and i want to like bring this back with these little you know portions of films that you know captivated my mind and right. you know add all these things together and create something that you know is really what you know sculpted my musical mind right Okay, yeah. So it's like an expression of your journey musically. Totally. I mean, I've been like making dance music for you know a decade now, and it's like I was. I finally want to like move over into something you know a little bit more you know electronic and you know, but still kind of mainstream. You know, the Peshmoody. You know, you got. I have a lot of angst that I want to get out. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I can't always do that in the unsi 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 world. You know right, what I mean? Right. It's like you make dance music. It's dedicated to dancing. You know, like. You can go a little abstract here and there, but when I go abstract, you know, I end up like I don't. I, I ends up being attracted. I just put away, and I don't really ever put it out. And I'm like, this right. is my. Nobody needs to hear this. this <laughs> yeah. It's you stay there. Secret folder that yeah, no, like never nobody's ever gonna find. And then one day, yeah. you know, something's gonna happen to me, and Stacey's gonna be like, "All right, I'm gonna secretly sell this little <laughs> dead secret album." Like, yeah, there's this film, you know, I watched as a kid called. Uh, uh, Eddie and the Cruisers, and you know the whole film is about Eddie. He wrote this album, and the record label didn't get him, so he hid the album and then faked his own death. And you know they're all looking for the Seasons in the Abyss album, and and I always wanted to be that guy, you know, with the secret album. <laughs> I wanted to be like I wanted, to, you know, I always like collected buttons when I was a kid, and I I give these out all the time, like Dirty Dan button, you know, like I finally am that little button man, you know, like right. been, I, I I had all these dreams growing up, you know, I was like I wanted to be a radio host, you know, and uh, I went to college for radio broadcasting, and you know I did that for like f- four years straight on the radio, college radio, left there, did Music Choice for another seven years, you know, uh, doing a nationally syndicated radio show with the television, and then. That's like I did that, and I want to do something else, you know. And I and then you know production was really my focus. And I went to school. I want to teach, and from there, you know, I want to do my own kind of music. You know, so it's a long process. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember when I was like, I grew up um, with a lot of like Indian music influence in oh, my. Me too. Me too. Right. Yeah. I mean, going to flushings. And <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, you, you have definitely... to. You have to. You end up at either you know it's either a, a, an Indian party or a Guyanese for a daddy party. You get like soca and you get a little bit of reggae and then you get a little bit of Punjabi music. Right. And, like, these are the backyard barbecues, you know, that I would go to growing up. Right. Right. And and listening to all that stuff, and then listening to West Coast hip hop and East Coast hip hop, and then. 
finally discovering um, dance music. And was like, I would have all these ideas of like, wait, we could take this Bhangra vocal and this track and oh, then yeah. like smash it together. And like now the Bhangra scene does have a lot of like EDM influence mm-hmm. to it. Um, but I was never disciplined enough to like be like you where I'm like, okay, I'm going to do three, four days, three, four days mm-hmm. every week dedicated to like hopefully i'll get there one day but it's like, you know if you you, you want to make music and i tell us because i teach you know ableton to a lot of people you know and i, I get like kids that you know they they're like you know how do you do this and i'm like well it's like it's like it's like exercise like being a being an athlete you know like a soccer player does he like get up every day and play soccer for like eight hours a day maybe more you know what i mean he's doing yeah, some yeah. exercising he's working out you know, it's like in the morning, you know, I wake up at 5 a.m. and I'm doing edits and, and promotion stuff and I'm, I'm answering emails, you know, and then I'm like setting up whatever the project's going to be for the day. You know, I'm like, okay, well, you know, I have these samples that I sampled from this record and I'm going to put that here and I need, you know, to get some instruments together and I'll take all this time, you know, and every morning, you know, I have my little like regimented thing and like that's my exercise. I'm doing push-ups and edits, you know, in right. the morning, you know, and like you have to do it constantly. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, you're really, like, sometimes you, um, you run into a professional of, of any sort, and they make it look so easy. <laughs> it is. And, <laughs> and then, like, you try it, you're like, oh, fuck, like, this is no joke. Like, it takes a long, long time. Like, I, I've been DJing since I was 15. I'm 33 now, and um, there's people in the community that, like, want to learn DJing. Like, some of my friends have... Like, oh, can you give me the lesson? I'm like, yeah, sure, I can, like, give you a lesson on how to DJ and tell you about song structure and all that. And they'll, like, I'll work with them for, like, a half hour, an hour, like, just to, like, here's how things are laid out. And, like, you know, you hit play on this part, blah, blah, blah. And then I'll go away for, like, 20 minutes and I come back and they're extremely frustrated. Mm. And I'm like, hey, man, like, you gotta, you gotta take a deep breath here. Like, mm. this takes a long time. Like, I... Not to say, like, I make it look easy when I'm up there. Like, oh, I'm having a good time. Mm. I'm mixing and, like, I can check my phone and talk to somebody and, like, still do a mix at the same time. It's because I put in 15 years mm. of my life, like, working uh, working on this stuff. And it's uh, it's really great to hear that you've been, like, you have a passion for, like, Thank this you. is what I'm going to do. Um, so, talking about passion, um, first, tell, tell me about the first time you went to the burn. Um, the first time I went to the burn was in 2007. Uh, I'd, uh, I'd, met a, I'd met a DJ uh, that I booked from Reno, uh, and I, his name was DJ Cause, and I, I'd flown Cause to Alaska to do a show. I was in college at UAA, and uh, he said to me, there's this party called Burning Man, and um, you know my, my wife won't let me go. <laughs> she says it's you know some sort of weird hippie sexual thing and I'm gonna go out there and, and you know die or catch some disease or do drugs and I said I'll take your ticket and he's yeah. like he's like really he's like listen I'll set it up he's like they'll fly you out there and I'll take care of everything and uh I was inducted into this camp called Getty Prime and if you know anything about the movie Dune uh Getty Prime was the guys that had the suits with water in them okay. uh, in the film Dune so I was I was a Dune fan already, and I was like, "This is freaking cool!" I was like, "I'm gonna be part of this camp," and like, those are the cool liquid suit people. So I was stoked, and um, I was not prepared for Burning Man. I didn't, I didn't know anything, and uh, I came out here with like. 
flip-flops and shorts and didn't realize it was going to be like 30 degrees at night. And <laughs> to, to make a long story short, I DJed for like three, almost four days. I got there on like, uh, like a Tuesday night and stayed till Saturday morning. And uh, I, I, I had... Um, I guess I guess I could just go and say it. I got a horrible case of jock rod, I would say. And mm. I had to get off the fly. There was no way that my I could handle it anymore. Yeah. So I left. I didn't even see the man burn my first time. And uh, I got a call like three months later and they said, Hey, uh, crocodile balls. <laughs> like, crocodile uh, balls. Was that, you, was that your plan? That was, no, that was just them joking around with me, you know, and uh, they're like, so, uh, you know, we really loved what you did. The music was great. They were like, how about you come back next year and uh, we'll set it up again and we'll give you a list of stuff you need and we'll make sure you're a little more prepared. We didn't really realize that you, you weren't going to read any manuals. Three things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, the next year they got me um, some uh, early build passes and I spent two weeks in the dust. Ooh. And I watched the city build and uh, I built this little... Um, it was like a little saloon, a little Western saloon. And this was uh, the American Dream, who was 2008. And, uh, you know, now I had this dream behind me, you know. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, this is the American Dream. I was like, this is amazing. Like, I have this fire under my butt now, you know, to, like, be a part of something. And, uh, you know, it still took me another, you know, two years, uh, almost three years. It was 2007, 2008. It's 2009 before, like, I had... Uh, Left Getty Prime and found Spanky's Wine Bar. And, uh, you know, I was, I was walking across the playa and I, I see this giant yacht, you know, rolling past me. And I, I was like, hey, hey. And, like, Getty Prime was like, everybody he was getting married and they were all like, starting to have, like, internal conflict. And it was mm -hmm. like, it wasn't fun anymore, you know? Right, right, right. And I was like, this is like, you know, becoming like, you know, just craziness. I'm not really sure I want. So, you know, I screamed down for the boat. I'm like, hey. And I flagged the boat down. And he stops for me and, uh, Guy's like, what do you want? And I'm like, you know, you guys need a DJ on your boat? And he's like, fuck, no, I don't. And I was like, wow. I was like, oh, my God. So I started walking away. And he's like, hey, but my camp needs a DJ. He's like, you got DJ equipment? And I was like, yeah, back at my camp. And he was like, hop on the boat. So I jumped on the boat, and we rode across to, like, I think it was, like, 9 o'clock in Esplanade. And we roll up at Spanky's Wine Bar. And I never, you know, I, I, I like... I didn't really know how, you know, closeted I was and how, like, you know, much stuff I'd really had, you know, like, not really touched in my life. And so I met Spanky's, and then I found this, like, kinky bunch of perverts that, like, I fit right in with. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I brought my DJ equipment back, and I played for them that first night, and uh, I was man-burned. It was Saturday, and, um, you know, I just... It, it, Spanky's was wide open it was like I started playing and everybody from the man burn like literally just came over to Spanky's and like next day I know there's just a sea of people and Jim Hillis the admiral he comes up to me he goes you're with us every year from now on <laughs> he's like this is the most amazing party ever he's like oh my god so I literally walked across to play in the morning and packed up all my stuff and came back and moved in with them and they gave me this medallion. Was, oh. This is actually like the first. Is that the original? This is one of the first. Oh, wow. I think this is the first Spanky's medallion that there was in 2009. Oh, I think there's like five or six of these probably that are still in our camp. And, uh, you know, that was when I first really wanted to like give service. And like, you know, I found this team of people. And instead of me, you know, getting flown in and being this like, you know, bougie DJ guy, you know, I, I, I found like a family and I, I, I started to like 
buy my own tickets and pay my own flights and all my own stuff and come out there and spend two weeks in the dust and do service work and spend the whole year like putting camps lineups together and like I wanted to be a part of something you know like I finally felt that I was a part of something and from that small ecosphere that I walked into you know I then in turn ended up meeting my wife and marrying her in that camp and all these things that I probably never would have achieved if I kept this mentality of being a cool DJ and, and you know, wanting to go to Burning Man. It wasn't about that, you know? Like, I th it became more about the sacrifice and giving something back to the people around me, and I wanted to be more involved in that, you know, as opposed to just being there to have fun, you know what I mean? Like, I go now and give up my two and a half weeks of vacation, you know, to work a 180-hour work week and, <laughs> yeah, and build yeah, a city yeah, where yeah. everybody parties it, and then I got to clean it up. Yeah. <laughs> and then I love it. And I, every year, by the end, I'm, like, so drained and exhausted, and I'm like, honey, we're not going back. <laughs> and and the next thing you know, it's like, as soon as they're like, so, well, you directed tickets, Dan, what's good? I'm like, I'll take two, please. <laughs> every time, you know? It's, yeah. And, yeah, I'm grateful for, you know, if it wasn't for Larry Harvey, I, I don't think I, I would be anywhere near where I am in my life right now. And, and I'm eternally grateful. Yeah. Yeah, so it seems like you went through a similar experience that I did where you went from being a spectator yeah. of Burning Man to a creator of Burning Man. Totally. And it was an incredible metamorphosis, you know, and it changed my my dynamic with everybody around me you know I, I think like you know I heard a long time ago you know you're only the average of your five closest friends and you know mm -hmm. when I first heard that you know I hung out with a, you know a pot dealer a bartender a janitor and a construction worker and I didn't really have any aims and goals and now it's like I, I spend time with people that are you know running charities or people that are you know building art or people that you know have these amazing dreams and goals and are going somewhere in their life and and their dreams intertwine with what my dreams are and we all work together to create everyone's dream and i think that's what the whole idea was in the first place yeah yeah no that's the beautiful thing about um about burning man right we pick each other up and totally. we say you can do this we can do it together and then a decade later you're, 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 you're like what has come from that decade man and I'm, I'm grateful every day and you know that's why I put you know as much of myself in as I possibly can every year you know yeah, beautiful um so let's see this is gonna get cut out <laughs> um uh, so who are your inspirations who are my inspirations? It doesn't have to be musical. Um, inspirations. I think my inspiration is my wife, um, Stacy. She puts up with so much crap. To By the way, with... Stacy's is Stacy's right here. Yeah, she's, she's, she's it's not that she's sitting right here. It has nothing to do with this. I, I did an interview uh, last week for uh, this label I, I, I'm with in London, and you know they asked me, you know, who's your hero? And I said, God, my wife. You know, like she really puts up with so much crap, like. You know, I'm an, I'm an insane Crazy artist. artist. I'm yeah. an insane artist, and she's like got her. You know, she's a professional. She's very rooted in, you know, schedules and all these things that I just am oblivious to. I'm not even gonna lie to you. Like <laughs> my mind is, you know, on my project and what I'm doing, and I need her in my life. You know, she she definitely like reels me in. You know, she's the yin to my yang. And, um, you know, my mom is my other hero. You know, she went through yeah. so much to make sure that, you know, I've got 
into a good direction. You know, that was always her thing. You right. know, her, you know, be harmonious. And uh, you know, I don't think I, I really understood what harmony was until you know I started going to Burning Man and I started seeing how you know people can interact and people can work together. You know, and and do magical things. Is your mom a um, an immigrant or like? Uh, no, my mom what? is. Uh, my mom was born and raised in Florida. Um, she's she's. She is quite a lady. She was like a disco queen in the 70s. So okay. I think that's why I'm so into disco because she was running around with me in her belly and it like. <laughs> so I never really like get that sound out of me. Okay. You know? Yeah, no, the only reason why I ask is uh, immigrants. Like my, my, my parents are immigrants. Mm. And I'm, actually, I'm an immigrant as well. I'm zero generation. And they have a whole different ethic. I think, yeah. To. Uh, to to just America than um, than somebody that's been here a lot a lot of the times, but a lot of, a lot of times it's it's just like what what, what you've experienced where they want to guide you and make sure things go this way <laughs> and like slowly nudge you in that direction because if you yank somebody that way, yeah. they yank back the whole oh, opposite direction, totally. and then next thing you know. Well, I still was kind of like that, you know. I was I was a troublemaker. I drove my mom nuts. You know? That's, that's <laughs> yeah. really why I would say she's my hero because, like, I put my mother through hell. I mean, I was like this maniac. Like, I I started going out to parties in 1991. I I think I was like 12 at the time. Wow. Or 13 is like right before my 13th birthday, and uh, I worked in a record shop. You know, since like sixth grade, that was my after school job. Was a record shop right down the block. I would leave my Catholic school and I would go to this record store and put tags on on the records and sweep the floors and put flyers out on people's cars and promote their record store. And you know, I got paid in swag and tapes and a little bit of cash, and it was great. Right. So I, by the time I was 12, 13 years old, I knew most of the DJs in town, most of the promoters, who they were. You know, I was right. a smart ass kid in the record shop. So like, hey Dan, you know we're doing this thing tonight. And this is New York. This or is in New York. This is in New York. You know, right on 160th Street, Northern Boulevard. It was it was called V and V Music Factory, and it was ran by two brothers named Vinny and Vinny. <laughs> I really I don't know why Italian families will name their sons like yeah. all the same name. It's probably <laughs> really confusing, but Vinny right. and Vinny were the coolest guys. I I walked up. I was like, hey, what are you guys building? Like we're making a record shop. They're like, do you like music? And I'm like, sure, you know. And they're like, well, go get your mom, and we'll give you a job if your mom says it's okay. You you come here after school. So right, right. He's like, I don't want you to come here, and there's these two weird guys, and you know, yeah, it's like yeah, kind of yeah, creepy. Yeah. So bring your mom. My mom yeah, yeah, yeah. it. She's like, if you want my son for six hours a day, take him. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, I learned so much about music and you know house music and freestyle and dance music and all these things before I ever even you know went to a party and. Mm. You know, I snuck out that fateful night in 1991, and I went to this, you know, kicked-in warehouse that was filled with thousands of kids just going off to this, you know, very fast-paced techno music, and I was like, I was like, this is what you guys do on the weekend? And they're like, <laughs> every weekend. <laughs> so, like, next thing I knew, you know, I'm sneaking out, you know, as every night of the weekend, trying to go out on the weekend every night, trying to sneak out. My mom would put, like, bars on the windows and, like, lock all the doors and chain locks with keys. And then, like, I'd get, like, smart and, like, steal the keys before the night and then, like, go make a copy. And, like, feel this, like, little bit of, like, madness, you know, and, like, yeah, trying to, like, yeah, sneak yeah. back in at five in the morning. And my mom's sleeping on the couch. I'm trying to reach my arm through the thing. Yeah. And that's that's why I was sent to military school. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, spent, yeah. I spent, you know, uh, almost two years in military school and got kicked out. 
and because I was in Lakewood, I wanted to go back to going to these clubs, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I went right back to public school and like partied every night of the week, yeah. you know. And, and you're saying you ended up in Alaska for university? <laughs> yeah, um, <clears throat> I uh, I was uh, in my mid twenties, and uh, I like gone to college, you know, right after I'd finished uh, with high school, and uh, I, I went for like half a year and I was like trying to do audio research and I'm like I'm not trying to like learn to mic up drums you know like that wasn't my calling you know yeah, I wasn't yeah. going to be that guy that sat in the studio I was like no I'm not doing this it's a waste of time I know more about you know this stuff than you know that guy and I started working in clubs doing lighting and doing all these other things that had to do with what I was trying to involve myself with yeah it became my like passion you know like it, it was it was like an obsession at some points you know what I mean sometimes I, I was feeling like I was never getting anywhere but I was still like trying you know I was fighting the good fight anyway right uh so let's talk about the club nights it seems like growing up in New York during like the fucking heyday of uh what Twilo Limelight Palladium uh Twilo Sound Factory I mean I went to all of them I was like really the Club USA I got in there before that closed um yeah, I remember the limelight was like the club to go to, um, and I was fourteen, so you know that was the place. They had this party called Disco Two Thousand. So, so you've got like a fake ID, or you, or you just know everybody, no, so you get kind of. No, at this point, I in. didn't know this this crowd. This was the club kid crowd. This was like the decadent, oh, you know, the, like oh that that the deck. what's it called the like the party monster people. Yeah, yeah, yes. the guy who ended up all like all my friends. I murdering. knew all of them in real life. I knew all those people wow. in real life. So. It's, you know, I'm 14 years old and I show up at this club with this fake ID and I go there for like three months, four months, every Wednesday. I go there with my fake ID and this drag queen at the door, Kenny Kenny's like, not tonight, honey. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, I go every week. I didn't care. I still wanted to be a part of this crew. So, you know, I saw all these people dressed up go in there and just walk in like they own the place. So, you know, I stole a skirt from my sister and, like, this, like, you know, really butch kind of draggy outfit. And I yeah. took a cab there because I was scared shitless. And I show up dressed, you know, in this flamboyant drag outfit. And Kenny, the drag queen at the door, takes my ID card and realizes who it is. And he goes, wait over here, honey. <laughs> so I literally stand there for like five hours in this costume feeling super uncomfortable and you know he closes up the gate and he's getting ready to go in and I'm like no I'm like damn you I waited all this time and he goes come with me for your new life and he walked me in and said you're never gonna have to pay for this club again just come see me at the door he's like I must give you credit you're a very you know ambitious persistent little yeah, fucker, yeah you know so that night I uh, ended up hanging out with uh, James St. James who was actually the writer of Disco Bloodbath the book that became Party Monster and I sat up with him till the wee hours of the morning you know talking about you know what my goal was in this industry, right? Know? He said, because he said, You're you've had a lot of balls. He's 14 years old, and he just <laughs> walked up with all this moxie tonight and kind of took over. He's like, So, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to go everywhere, you know, like I don't want to feel like I have to stand in line and deal with this. He's like, I'll make that happen, and, yeah, yeah. And luckily for me, you know, I, I ended up, um, I ended up dating a, a 
one of the most famous transgender people, transgender women of all time, uh, yeah. Amanda Lepore. I ended up going out with her, you know, in my high school days. I went to, like, so much crazy stuff. Like, I was at the fringe of everything, you know? Yeah. And it was, like, crazy this time, you know, to be in this, like, decadent club and people were, like, partying and doing all this madness, you know? And I was, like, this young kid and a pressurable kid that... This club, I, so I finally walked into, you know, this church that was the club, and the first song that is on is The House of God by DHS. Dude. And my mind was just blown. Yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, I was yeah. like you get into this church. It took me, like, you know, four months to get in this church. I had to dress up like a woman and get in there, and then I walk in. It's like The House of God. And I'm like, I'm like my mind is really fried right now. <laughs> right. Like, I'm like, this is not, you know, what it is. And, and that was what it was, you know. Like I was at the just pivotal point in time for music and fashion and everything, you know. I, I met Keith Haring, I met Willie Ninja, and all the people that did the Vogue videos and all these Keith people that Haring, you know. Huh? Yeah, man, he was like hanging out at the club like uh, up until like the like the end almost. Yeah, you know? it's like crazy. Like how many like amazing artists were in this little like club circle you know i started going to shelter they've been to the mancuso loft they've been to like all these amazing things that you know like i was on the tail end of this like ending of all this stuff so i right. saw that moment of decadence and this great time and partying and you know it very much held with me all these years you know like this is where everyone got together you know it didn't matter if you were gay you were straight you were black you were white you were spanish you were asian indian it didn't matter everybody came there and danced and and i became addicted to everyone jumping up and down in unison and this togetherness was yeah. you know something that was just unparalleled anywhere else you know yeah yeah no i think i, mean, I was talking to uh dj dan like a few months ago when him mm. and donald did a party mm. over here and we were just talking about the same thing like how did you get into it why did you get into it and pretty much always that answer where it's just like i was accepted and there was no sure. like judgment no like you felt safe you felt welcome oh, yeah. and me growing up as like a Sikh kid in white american like white san diego america <laughs> it was uh it was just weird it was different you know and that was like the one place you could go and everyone was just like hey you like techno i'm like i like techno like all right great we're best friends forever exactly, exactly. <laughs> some was... of these people that you know i met in you know 1992 are still my dearest and deepest and best friends that you know it's like I don't see them for, you know, 10 years and I show up at the club and it's like, oh my God, where have you been? You get the biggest, warmest hug and then you talk for like two or three hours and then you guys get messed up and dance the whole night away and then you're like, listen, I'm going to see you in a decade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love see you. you, you know, I'll see you when I see you. And it's yeah. just that way. And it's, you know, it's, it's an amazing feeling to like, you know, have so much stuff sparked from just, you know, this one eight hours night of, you know, dancing and, a million years ago, you know, that yeah. all these memories, all these things you hold with you forever, you yeah. know? So, I mean, like, that's my job as, you know, my generation is to pass these things on, pass this feeling on that I got. Because I see, like, you know, things are very separated nowadays. You know, everybody's got their own little crews and they do all their own little things, and it's like everybody's so separated instead of, like, trying to all unify and get under this, like, one kind of an umbrella, you know? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's quite interesting because, I mean, the whole... EDM thing kind of blew up like mm -hmm. what is it five seven years ago now yeah. well I think it's a little more than that I um, think it's like at least like 10 at this point now there's it, been you know it, like kind of yeah, I think at least since 2008 I yeah yeah yeah, yeah no yeah it gets you right I wasn't 
Because, I mean, I was charting college radio at that time, and it was like, you know, a lot of the, uh, you know, indie pop. I mean, I was I was charting Calvin Harris when he was making indie new disco stuff, you know what I mean? And then it was like the very next year after that album came out, he's making this big, like, trance, you know, anthems. And it's like, but you just went from talking about, you know, I like disco, you know, and then all of a sudden yeah. you're like, man, 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 man. It's like <laughs> such a switch up, you know what I mean? Like, of whoever was the studio producer, whoever, like, tried to hone the Calvin Harris. dude. Exactly. Yeah. And it was like, this was the start of, you know, a bunch of different sounds, you know, dubstep and all that really started to jump off at that time, too. Yeah, yeah. I remember the UK, like, the UK dubstep was, that was something else mm-hmm. compared to, like, the American version of dubstep where. It sounds like it's a chainsaw. Uh, I'm not, I mean, there's some tracks that I, I can get behind, but a lot of it is just, that it doesn't appeal to me, which yeah. doesn't mean that it's bad or good. It's just uh, just not my cup of tea. Yeah, I think, I think I'm just old. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, like, yeah. It's like I, I, I teach kids that are, are younger than me, and they, you know, they're into this like, you know, certain type of pattern that they're, they're fixed to. You know, they want bam, 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 wah, 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 and like, that's cool with them. That's what they're thinking in. I just don't think like that. You know what right. I mean? Like, I'm, I'm thinking in like a totally different, you know, I'm just, I'm soundscaping, I'm doing all kinds of stuff. Like, I can't think of like, I'm going to make this instrument turn this instrument and then do this and all that. It's like, I'm already like wore out by the time <laughs> I got done making that one eight measure. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it's a little too much for me, you know. But, you know, like I said, I'm old, you know. It's like, there was a time when, you know, my dad would say, you know, techno's bullshit, you know, like, techno music is like, it's not rock and roll, it's crap. And it's like, now I'm at that point where, like, well, it's not Deep House, you're full of shit, you know. It's like, I've become my dad, you know. It's like, it's messed up to say. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I tried to... I don't even know what my parents would do if I brought them to a party. There was like, wait, is this what you have? This is this is what you've been doing? Oh, my mom already day. knows. My mom is like, you're... It's, the devil's music. <laughs> yeah. It's totally. My mom's like, you go to those parties and you're up all night. I see what you look like when you come home. <laughs> you know, so it's like, like I'm sorry, mom. Sorry. I'm sorry. My you're so right. You're so right, you're mom. So right. Oh, gosh. The look on their face. They're just like, they see right fucking through you. You know, like, I you know can only get away with mom. I have allergies for so long. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I have allergies or the wind. Yeah, the yeah. wind was always my big thing in the winter time because it would be blustery out in the New York. Yeah. Like, no, mom, the wind is why my eyes are bloodshot and this <laughs> and my pupils are yeah, as big as two minutes. Right. Yes, it's the yeah. air was going right through my giant pupils, mom. Right. <laughs> um, so, like, what uh, people have just heard the mix because oh, this interview is going to go at the end of yeah. the mix. What was your inspiration for the mix? Um, this year's Burning Man is iRobot, and um, you know we have all these things like Westworld and these things talking about uh, you know artificial intelligence and what have you. So I wanted to do a mix that kind of sounded like a, a a robot that had been doing it for way too long, just glitching out and kind of losing it at the same time. It was trying to to cope with its own humanity at the same time, you know, saying goodbye to the old and the new. Uh-huh. So I wanted to give you something that was, you know, a little robotic at the same time, you know, a little bit of the insanity of me right now, you know, yeah. I have a lot of voices running through my head and 
all these crazy things, you know. I'm yeah. a, I, I run a sex camp at Burning Man, so you know <laughs> this naughtiness to me too. You know, there's always that bit of you know sexual tension. So yeah, you know, it's uh, it's about love and togetherness. And like I was saying before, you know, I want to promote this. You know, everybody getting along. You know, everybody, man. You know, like when I was young, you know, it was you know this LGBT community was still like you know having a lot of people giving it angst and stuff and I grew up trying to like show love to everybody you know I would take the take the drag queen home and make sure that she get home safe to Brooklyn because right. you know she'd probably get beat up by some kids in the train you know that night you know and I've always yeah. tried to instill this kind of you know protection over my scene and my people and my friends and I want that to come back you know what I mean where people feel that way where people feel like they are safe where they're at you know yeah what I mean? And they and they are welcome, you know, and that's why I really enjoyed the, the idea behind Burning Man because you know all are welcome, you know, all inclusive is mm-hmm. is a really deep thing because it takes a lot to to let your armor down enough to let somebody be inclusive with you, and I yeah. think that's what you know it should be about. You know, everybody has these like shades and layers of their armor, and you know it's like different times, different pieces of that armor will come off, and it seems like in the desert, people lose all of that. You know, and they just get down to their raw self. You know, maybe they're naked, running around, and that's their that's to free them. Or maybe yeah, you know, they get down to the spiritual self. You know, like uh, like like um, what's his name, Fergus. You know, like <laughs> my friend Fergus. You know, you see him at the beginning of the burn, and then you see him by the end. He's covered in dust, and he's he's uh, he's praying and doing his alms and reaching into his inner chakras. And wow, yeah, you know, it's amazing to see that. You know, yeah, it's uh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's the best thing about the burn, right? It's just that, that acceptance where you can, you're, you're accepted if you're willing to allow yourself yes. to be accepted, Well, right? that's another thing, you know, people don't, I think people, humans, you know, we get so stuck in what other people think about, you know, them, you know, and we get caught up in this Facebook and the social media thing where, we can be this fake person online and it's like, oh, I got a thousand likes for what I commented, you know, but for those thousand likes, what did they really do for you, you know? Did they make you more of a person? Did they make you better? Or by going out and, and, and helping your friend move into their house, you know, like how many times have you been moving and you call your friends and nobody comes around to help you? <laughs> Since I've been in Mur- you know, involved with Burning Man, you call your murder friends and they're there to help you, you know? They, they show up and it's just, it's a different kind of... I heard this one girl when I first started burning. You know, she, they were making fun of Burning Man. And the girl goes, "Burning Man is a way of life," and I laughed at first, and then I realized later on that she was very right. That it is a way of life. You know, like you get into it, and it's, you know, it's probably the coolest cult I've ever been in. And I will definitely say that. <laughs> I could be in, you know, Landmark and pay 700 bucks for my <laughs> which, which Landmark, I kind of feel like, is the upper middle class Scientology, so to speak, in some ways. But I don't know. I don't know if, I, if I'm one to gossip, so you didn't hear Yeah, from yeah. No, I got, I got the massive red flag. Like, <laughs> yes, landmark. I, was like, I was like, oh. Yeah, I'm going to go over here. <laughs> yes, indeed. You know, it's like, I'm going to pick and choose my cults, but I think I found a pretty good one. Yeah, right? yeah. I think I'm going to stay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, shout outs to, uh, you know, Costume Jim and my other cult out there. <laughs> the lovely costume culters. Yeah. Um, 
Well, uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up. Is there cool. anything you wanted to say? Um, people no. will see what Spanky's. What's the uh, yeah? Your, uh, Spanky's. We're gonna be at eight and C and uh, okay. Well, Spanky's Wine Bar will be at eight and C. Uh, okay, not okay. Camp is another camp I'm running. Uh, we'll be at the three o'clock keyhole. So you can find me on either side of the planet, Dude. running back and forth. I'm gonna get a little, uh, a little motorized bike, so I don't break okay. my, Hopefully. Break my back. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, Hopefully. we'll see what happens. Maybe I'll just kidnap Dave's because Dave. <laughs> but Dave throw it in with the RV. But um, yeah, and you can find me in the RV with the giant octopus on the side of it at Spanky's Wine Bar. That is me. All right, Dan. Thank you very cheers. much. No, thank you for having me. Bless you, sir. Cheers, cheers. cheers to uh, best of luck to your set tonight. I wish I was thank able to hang much. out and check it out, but I got to. I got to be with the family tonight. It's okay. You're with me in spirit, and oh, I love you for it, excellent, brother. Excellent. Cheers. Alkaline is produced by Navjeet Sarna, and associate producer Tori Massey. Executive producers Arash Afshar and Amber Rose. Alkaline is a not-for-profit venture. Learn more at burnerpodcast.com.